Kiora and welcome to Machinist Therapy Hotline. We have reached episode eight, and this week we are gonna be freeballing, and we're just gonna let the topics roll on and on. And of course, we have the dream team again this week with Albert Rigzinski. Oh, hey, Shane Poole. Yo, yo, Tony Closer. This is TC, and my boxers are already hanging on the Akuma control because we're freeballing. And me, Jody Tuckwell, who's currently sitting in his underpants, dreaming of TC and his underpants on the Akuma controller. So, Woo-hoo! let's get on with the podcast. Cool. Okay. <laughs> Welcome and thanks for listening. This is episode eight. So I'm guessing, hey guys, who wants to kick us off this week? Let's go, Shane. I'd, li- I'd like to ask Tony, how was your vacation, Tony? My vacation was pretty good. You know, we got to Florida and I was like, oh, they said, come down here. They said, it's beautiful. They said, and I went through some crazy ass torrential downpours. But after that, we had about six to seven days of just great sun and we spent a lot of time in the sun drank a lot of beers and i am toasted <laughs> whereabouts in florida did you go uh treasure island which is on the gulf side so we waded out in the water and we did a little fishing and it was fun it was a good time cool that's nice. uh that, that's a cool place to go florida it so is. i gotta say your picks were driving me kind of crazy because you're gallivanting around florida and and i spent the week making some parts for the third time Mm. in hopes that the anodizers don't fuck these ones up oh no not the anodizer problem again what's the material shane it's 70 75 okay that's supposed to plate pretty good what are they going to do to it anodize it yes so the the inside uh there's like a, a cavity in it that gets type 3 hard anno. Mm. Okay. And then the outside is just type 2 clear. But they keep coming back with like these crazy streaks on them. And then so the last plater that we tried, we sent them like a sample. Mm-hmm. Um, we just took like a, a, a drop, like a bar end, and just, you know, put like a, a turned bore in it. And then, you know, faced one side with a face mill and then like side milled the other side. And, you know, just said, here, can you, you know, try this? And basically just ate the lot charge. And it came back and it was like beautiful. And so we we sent them all these parts and then they came back and there's all these crazy streaks on them. And so Mm -hmm. then they're talking to the guy and he says, oh, it's uh, it's because of your tool marks. And so uh, like the owners come out and they say, I I think that. I'm Go sorry, ahead. man. I'm like, ch- I'm like chomping at the bit here listening to your story because I swear to God, all anodizers, they go to the same school and, and they learn the same fucking bullshit to say to machine shops every fucking time. <laughs> yeah, so I, I got out. I started taking pictures of it and wrote out like this whole email to them and pointed out like, OK, the inside is a turned surface. There's these streaks going through it. This side of the part, like there's there's a pocket and it's on the walls. It's on the floor. Um, this other side, like part of it was was done, you know, with a face mill. It goes right through that. The another part right next to it was like radial milled with an end mill. It goes right through that. And they're completely consistent across like all these different types of surface finishes, you know. And so it's like, it's not, it's not fucking tool marks, dude. And and so then they do the classic, you know, we'll send us some more and we'll do them for free. And it's just like, it's tough. It's to be honest, like it's tough to have a good attitude about like making them again, you know? It's funny. It's it's funny how they're, they're so quick to do this stuff for free, even though it wasn't their fault in the first place. Yeah. But it's just like, it's so frustrating. Like, I know you deal with it, too, because we, you know, we talk about it all the time, but. 
Oh yeah. It doesn't it doesn't seem to matter what plater if it's a if it's an actual like um like I just had an encounter with a silver plater for these parts that I made. Um any anodizer, honestly, I feel like I've jumped around between a bunch of anodizers and now I'm back at the one that hosed me on like fifteen thousand dollars worth of parts. Um it's pretty messed up. Um Yeah, we're like doubling that into this project now. It's Jesus. dude, it's so messed up. And you know, for a smaller company like myself, like that can like that can like almost make or break you, you know? Yeah. It you know, it's not it's not something to scoff at. And so the the anodizer that we left, we went back to and they put us on COD. Just because of this one little like snafu that we had, I I wasn't gonna pay a bill on the fifteen thousand dollars worth of parts that they screwed up, and they put us on COD because of that. Even though we paid every other bill for like the last five years on time, like net thirty with them, and it's like so now we just indefinitely have to pay COD for all of our orders, which is kind of it's a pain in the ass. But I mean, it's just that's, they kind of got you by the balls. That's messed up. Do you have a contact person or a sales guy you actually deal with besides the platers that represents them? Never seen. I saw that I met the sales guy once, probably four or five years ago. I've talked to the owner, and the owner was the one who put us on COD. And uh, I talked to him again the other day when I went to pick up an order from them. And he gave me this spiel about mitigating risk and that they're recovering because they lost all these employees basically they got audited and they had a bunch of illegals working there and they Mm -hmm. lost like 90 people so wow you know they're in a tough place and i'm like yeah i get mitigating risk you know i do the same thing with customers but i'm not going to put customers on cod especially ones that have been paying well like i feel like that's kind of shitting where you eat yeah, yeah. How, how does it? Can can I, can I ask a question? How does it work with? So, what what is the expectation? You, you know how you know as machinists we have a tolerance, and you know we're going to make it to within a thou or whatever. Like what what's what's the expectation as a plater? What what? Uh, and don't just say oh it's fucking whatever they can be bothered to do. But I mean. Well, I mean, realistically, I mean, what's the repeatability of that process? It must be quite difficult. Well, that's what I was. Go ahead. I was going to ask Shane real quick on those black parts that you had done on the inside and outside. The inside's hard anode, so that builds up, what, one to three? Yeah. So did they get that right? Yeah, they, they hit the size correctly, but there was like this, it almost, we, so we have this really, really powerful microscope. I don't mm-hmm. know the power of it offhand, but where all these uh, streaks were, it was just like these really black streaks. And uh, we we put that under the microscope and it's like cratered and there's like valleys and stuff. And uh, so, and they, they say that it meets the, the AMS spec. Or right. I think it's AMS spec for that type of anodized and, and it's, you know, everything's correct and they, they did some sort of, I don't know if it's a copper sulfate test or what, mm-hmm. what they do, but they said everything was fine. And then it's like, you send a picture to the customer and they're like, no, that's unacceptable. Like, we can't have that. And I don't so blame it, them because they're paying a lot of money for these things. Is but, it a cosmetic, co- cosmetic problem? Then. Uh, it's, I mean, you can see it, but it's also, it, it doesn't, it doesn't look right. It almost looks like because they're all at like the same level about halfway through the part it looks right. like it like if they had some sort of contamination in their tank like it was kind of like at that level or something does that so make sense part, yeah it does but i mean my question is is, is the part still functional mm. yeah that's what i was gonna say yeah uh the customer said they won't accept it well i, I get like that, that but is, is it because it causes thing, is it cause a cosmetic it's because it's cosmetic and under further investigation, there's some, something has happened to the surface layer of the material there. And okay. so they, see, that, they don't. That's, that's the thing. It's so subjective because it doesn't yeah. matter if it 
if the plater did it to the, to the correct specification or not, ultimately, if your customer kicks it back, you're now caught in the middle. Yeah, and their and our our uh, their term says you know it can't have any visual defects and all that stuff. So, right, okay, so it is stipulated by them from the outset that you know you can't have this. Now, does that does that mean that that information is then relayed to the platers? Like, you know, would you say, hey, look, this is the expectation, and I know it's <clears throat> you'd think that that should be the standard, but Clearly, it isn't the standard. So, you know, if you go to these platers and say, hey, look, this is exactly what we need to achieve. Can you achieve it? And what does it cost? You know, blah, blah, blah. Like, isn't that how it should work? It, it should. And like our, our local plating shop, um, now they uh, pushed our lead times out because now only, they only have the owner plate our stuff because we've had so many issues with them and uh and and so it's but but then again they also they stick by their story and they like do not deviate from it uh these are it's tool marks that you're seeing it's something in your process you know and and they just they will not break from that story you know another thing that i've heard um as far as like visual defects and stuff in aluminum, the last plater that we were working with, he claimed that a lot of aluminum now um, has like a higher content of recycled aluminum in it. And I don't know if that's true or not, but he was trying to pin some of the visual defects that we were seeing on that. Your material spec, like when you get certs or whatever, they allow a certain percentage of like recycled materials to be in that you know heat when you order it mm-hmm. so uh, you know i don't know how much that affects it i mean tony i think you've had some issues with those um like uh it's like those muffler tip things or whatever yeah matter of fact i dealt with that quite in depth with um you know emj we bought you know several types of material and what i learned was there's a coarse grain and there's a fine grain and then there's a, the exclusive accu rod that they want you to buy that's it says they can you can machine it faster and you're gonna get a better finish but there's so many different blends out there right now and if you find one that works and you have the same heat lot like i'll order 30 bars of two and seven eighths to make those tips and that's what makes a thousand parts and what I'll do is I'll cut off the first piece and then I'll run a, a pass with the diamond tooling and, you know, a test piece. And if one piece is good in that heat lot, then every single bar is good. And it's yeah. how fast they're pumping that stuff out. And you'll get that. I mean, you guys have seen it on my, on my page. It's like a little cow pattern, you know, like a Holstein cow. It's got all these blotches and stuff on it. Well, mm-hmm. I've got a good contact in there now that she's, you know, pushing out this stuff. It's called lightning rod for me. And she knows what I'm trying to do. And they've, you know, had several pictures. And the last two orders I've gotten from them has been super, super cool. And and it's worked out really well. But, uh, you know, it's what you guys are saying about uh, first thing first, you know, if you can get a player that you guys machine it to uh, spec before pre-plate and then it gets back. And especially if it's a tight hole or OD or whatever it is, and they're hitting that right, that's one thing. But the streaks and that type of stuff. You know, it's it's unfortunate, and and I don't know in your case, Shane, if it's you know a new part to you guys or a new part to your customer, or if they've done this before and they have experience with platers that work well. Uh, once again, man, it's key getting somebody that can do it and do it right. And uh, it's you know I've talked to you guys about this before. You know, racking marks and all kinds of stuff can waste a whole lot of your parts and just by a stupid mistake. And and I kind of. I kind of can really familiarize with what Albert's saying about having the owner do it because I think I talked to you a little bit, Shane, about AMF. That's the platers that I go to now. I don't actually plate that many parts, but my my sales guy was a really good guy and he would make sure that they would get in there and get out the way they were supposed to. But even with him leading it in, leading out, I would say, you know, we've had two or three batches come out that had been racked the wrong way and wasted a whole lot. And it's just Here's the thing. They hire the people that can go to either McDonald's 
or the people that can rack their parts and play them. And from what I'm hearing is they're making more money at McDonald's right now than they are for the guys that are, this is no joke. The guys that are racking their parts and wrapping them up, they are making less money than guys flipping burgers. And that's, that's a sad situation. Yeah, Yeah. it really is. So they, we use them for, for some things. Um, but on some of our more tightly controlled things, we have to use vendors that are on the customer's approved list. Right. And so, I mean, <clears throat> and, and then, you, you know, you ask them, well, who do you guys use? And they say, oh, we use, you know, who's on our list. And so you go through that and, and you, you start dealing with these people, you know, you've never talked to or anything. And, and you, you know, you, you, you tell them what it is and, and what the expectation is. And then, like I said, they just, they stick to the, once they come up with a story, they stick to it. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like, you ask them like, well, why, why are there the same streaks through these different types of machined finishes? And it looks exactly the same. And, oh, it's, it's just tool marks. And it's like, no, it's not tool marks, you know, but they, once they, they commit to that story, they don't break it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I think al- it's always right. something different. If it's not, if it's not tool marks, it's it's uh, the material or it's the coolant that you use. I mean, yeah. it, you know, I don't want to say that anodizing is an arbitrary process, but I feel like there's definitely well, actually any plating. There's there's a science to it, and it's a chemical process. But the better you know about the process. And how to specify that process, I feel like the better the end result. Like, yeah, there's always going to be room for human error with, like, racking and handling. Or if the guy goes out to take a smoke break as he drops your parts into etch or something like that. But, like, generally speaking, if you the more you know about how to specify the process and the finish that it's going to result... I spent so much time at one of the anodizers kind of developing like a process that worked. I mean, even down to like the temperature that they run their, their bath at. And I went to a different anodizer and I had him do the same bright dip and anodize time and etch time and everything. And the parts were coming out different because his bath was at a different temperature. And honestly, even, even the atmosphere in the shop, one shop was like a super acidic atmosphere. Like you could smell it when you walked in there. And I honestly, I don't even know how those people breathed, but if our parts sat out there for like a couple weeks, our parts would start to develop some like very, very slight corrosion on the surface <laughs> to the point where once they would anodize them, you would see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's pretty fucked up. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, it, with, with any, like anything else, I mean, how long has that tank been doing parts? I mean, I don't know how the process works, but I mean, you obviously can't dip parts in there forever. And if you have somebody put a new batch in and all of a sudden you're up that plater and you're dipping your stuff in there and it comes out looking a lot brighter, maybe that's one thing. But one thing that I tried to take out of the equation was I, you know, like I said, once again, I don't do very much plating, but when I send parts to the platers, I make sure that all the blind holes and everything, I mean, these things are like triple washed. So they're so clean. So there's no coolant. So they can't say that my shit bled out into their stuff. And, uh, you know, I, maybe that helps. Maybe it doesn't, but I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a mystery when it comes to it them. I always thought, they, I thought they supposed to dip them in something before they actually started their process, but I don't know. Yep. Oh, I was just going to say, like, I feel like, generally platers aren't communicating what their process is to like the end user or the customer like i had to like sit down and have like an actual meeting with like a couple people from these different platers to figure out and understand their process and what and how i need to be specifying things so that we get the desired result basically and it's it's kind of a pain in the ass, but it comes back to like good communication. You know, I need to understand the process. So like I know how to spec it, you know, to get what we want basically. But yeah. Yeah. So we, one of our, uh, we have a manufacturing engineer, um, and he's a younger kid and he's extremely bright. And so he's been reading up on, on anodizing quite a bit. 
and uh, he's going to actually go with these parts to the the vendor out of state and uh, you know go through the whole process and everything because the the first ones it had like these tiger stripes on them and they were kind of inconsistent and then these last ones it kind of looks like they had them like all racked exactly the same and it looks like something that was on them like kind of ran down the surface you know what i mean kind of like it, it uh like if there's some contaminant in there or something like when they pulled it out mm-hmm. and it kind of ran down it it kind of etched it or did whatever it did so um, are they going to let he, are they going to let him do that yeah we already talked to him that's cool actually i hope it works yeah cuz i mean the the sample part they sent back was beautiful like it looked yeah. really good and so then we're like, you know, we're all excited and we send them these parts and then they come back all fucked up. Yeah, so, sample parts are always good. <laughs> even my sample parts are good. Hanks is even good sometimes. <laughs> what do they say? That one was done on a Monday and our actual parts were done on a Friday. Exactly. Ooh. Exactly. So, hey, hey, I, I, yeah, go, oh, go on. Sorry. Go on. Go, go. Just a quick quick question for Shane because he's in a different league than all the rest of us are on the shop size and plating. Do you passivate yourself over there? Yeah. What have, have you guys considered about possibly putting in plating tanks? Uh, one owner says we're going to do it once we get a bigger building. Yeah. Um, which we're currently looking for. And then our operations manager is like absolutely not that open in California, especially that opens way too big a can of worms. It's way hard, exactly. I I agree. But I mean, it would you know if you if you weigh it out the amount of parts scrapped. I don't know, man. It's yeah. So and that was that was why we brought uh, passivation in because you know Mm -hmm. like a lot of the parts you make our surface finishes are, are extremely important. And we, on, when we do receiving inspection, when they would come back from passivation, it's like, you know, they just threw them in a basket and ran them through there and they're banging into each other. And we'd, we'd scrap out quite a bit or, or have to, you know, polish something and then hit it with gel if the customer would allow that even. And so we brought passivation in and that's taking care of that problem. And it's also cut, you know, four or five days out of our lead time exactly. you gotta box, box the parts up ship them to the or you know their truck comes i think tuesdays and thursdays you know so it's got to be one of those days and then it goes over there it's there for a couple days and then it has to come back on either a tuesday or a thursday so it really cuts out probably about a week yeah i'm one of my main customers it's like when we go to quote apart for them and it says right on the print, it has to be passivated. I'll make contact with you know, the buyer and say, look, I can do it for this if you guys, because they're set up to passivate in house. And, you know, especially on a, in a, a part that has the high quality finish, it's like, I don't even want to do that anymore because just like what you said, they come back and it looked like they were, you know, one thrown in the basket and then thrown back in the box and shipped back to us. It's like, I'll quote it like this and I'll make it look beautiful. You guys passivate it. Cause you know how it's done and then you put it together, you go to EP and whatever. And it's, yeah, it's just trying Dude, to take smart. them. Yeah. Trying to take them out of the equation is, is, is tough, but I mean, sometimes you have to, and I don't know yeah. what else to say. And it's like you said, no, you know, it, it's the, it's really the, you know, the low, low man on the totem poles packing things up. And I know how we pack things up and then I see how they pack things up when it comes back, you know? Yeah. And it's just, yeah, yeah. it, it, it it takes it, you know, takes a lot of risk out of it. What do they charge? I have Whatever no they idea. Want. <laughs> 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 but what I mean is, is that like considering that you know so many people need to use the plater, like if you're a shrewd dude, you would go right. I'm gonna make this the best fucking platers ever, and I'm gonna know my shit because then. Well, one, I could charge whatever I want because I'm going to be guaranteeing a product as opposed to, oh, yeah, I'm just a, I've just like sniffed too many acids and I'm, I'm a plater dude and it doesn't matter what I do because you've got to go and back to me anyway. Like, you know what I mean? Like, how can it, how can, how can that part of the industry be so bad? It's, uh, I think a lot of, a lot of them just focus on throughput 
And I don't think they, they're really, you know, hey, it's it's re- it's supposed to be red. That looks red to me, you know. Um, yeah, it's, it's a low, it's a, like, they've got the industry by the balls. I mean, like, volume-wise, price-wise, like, it's a very small portion of the finished product, you know. So, like, if your part costs $10, you know, maybe the anodizing portion of it is 50 cents, right? So right. it's like low cost for for them. So like Shane said, you've got to work on volume, but like it really is kind of risky because you're putting these potentially really expensive parts through really like kind of fussy process that is low dollar for them. So they're just trying to get it in and out the door. And so it's hard to find somebody who pays close attention to stuff. It's re- I mean, it's it's I can't even stress how much how tough it is to find a good plater. Mm. You know what though? There has to be there has to be some top shelf guys out there. I mean, yeah. think about it. There's, there's a be. guy I don't doubt there's it. A, there's a guy that uh I know Kamal works with and he does some of those like really crazy like kind of splatter jobs and stuff. Yeah, 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 like on his spinners and shit. Yeah, so he I mean, they're obviously, you know, into what they're doing if they're doing that type of stuff. Right, so, mm. but but like, but just take it. You know, if, if what you're saying is, you know, if it's, uh, what do you say, fifty cents in a in a ten dollar part? I mean, that's like you scale that up, and someone comes in with a twenty thousand dollar part, like that's that's still reasonable money for probably not not too dissimilar time in the shop. Not, <laughs> I get what I get what you're saying. That it's the. The the it's the same process on two entirely different things, but it's treated as the same. Is that what you're kind of saying? Yeah, yeah, exactly right. But I don't know anybody that's going to send a twenty thousand dollar part to a a plater and cross their fingers. There's got to be a better solution. Exactly. That has surely. That's what I mean. It just seems like it's okay. Well, I've got this part, and now I've got to. I've unfortunately got to run the gauntlet or go to the Wild West and hope for the fucking best. Like, That's it just has it. To you, be. you can get on Google and say, who is the best player in the United States? Well, so what? He's in New York. I'll send my shit there and I'll wait two weeks and I'll build that into the lead time. There's got to be just like doctors. You know, if you're a specialist at one thing and you want to have your foot specialized, you know, taken care of, then you go to this guy. There's got to be. I mean, you just don't want to go to Joe Blow because he's got a good price. I mean, I don't know who these great guys are, but there's got to be some great guys. And if there's not, then we need to stop the podcast. Exactly. <laughs> Imagine you could, you could go to a doctor and then you had a problem with your foot. And then when you come out of the like the doctor's surgery, you had a different foot. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like a, like a left one with your other left one and here's- or a... And or a smaller they, one, like a say. baby's foot. <laughs> you okay, know, you so might save money. Happens, here's what they would say. Here's, I'm going to speak for Albert. He'll, they'll say, oh, we're sorry. We can't do nothing about that bad foot, but we'll give you credit on the next, your next foot. <laughs> <laughs> right, Albert? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a good, it's a good analogy, man. I mean, it's uh, just kind of fucked up. Like they don't want to, you know, assume any risk. And I, I get it. Like because the parts that they could be plating, they could be parts that are fifty cents, or they could be parts that are twenty thousand dollars. But yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I, I think that if you were taking a twenty thousand dollar part to be anodized, you'd have a little bit more than a, you know, like a handshake and a purchase order that you're sending along with it. You'd probably go in there and have a conversation with the owner or something. You so know what? Do... If I was going to have my $20,000 part plated, I would send it with fucking Chuck Norris. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty good plan. Of <laughs> uh, yeah, that might work. But also, uh, what, why would it be different? You know what I mean? Like, like if you're he's a badass. Like... Chuck Norris is no. fucking you fucking... <laughs> no, what I mean is, is oh. like, <laughs> like, for example, if you guys were making a ten dollar part or a twenty thousand dollar part, you'd still have pride in the workmanship that you're producing because you want that customer to come back back again. You know what I mean? True. Like it's. I just don't I think a lot that. of the players. I think a lot of the players just don't give a shit because they're so it's there's their profit margins. I feel like are very small, 
and so the stuff that they do do like if they if they adhere to this this the specifications that are called out you know like whatever the anodizing specification that's called out if they're adhering to that in their process then they're not liable and in the they don't they will not assume any risk they'll charge you what they want because they don't care because they've got a, you know 10 other customers lined up behind them right I hate I feel, to say that it's like a really negative like attitude to have towards that, but I have yet to experience anything better. Like I've, I've had like decent customer service, but like it always, it's it'll start out great and then it'll just kind of degrade over time. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I guess then like... if you if you went to like Tony said, you know, if you googled you know the best anodizer in the United States. Like the, you then, for example, let's say it is in New York or whatever, and you go, oh, okay, I, I've got this really expensive part. It has to go to him. You then run the next gauntlet, which is you've got to package it really well, and it's got to go there. So, like throughout convenience, you want to you want a guy down the road that's going to be able to help you out. That's sort of why yeah. you do it. I yeah. gotta believe that there's people out there that you know. I mean, I know there's parts, and I would think Shane is probably the the best example of this because his shit is critical his shit goes to space so i'm thinking that there i would almost fucking put a team on trying to find the best plater sending sample parts out every day like one here one there one there and it's like okay you know here you did that well here's here's a lot of 12 or 15 or 20 and that we want to see repeatability and that type of shit and then re, you know get a relationship going with somebody because I mean, you're in a different boat, Shane, with what you're doing versus me and, and motorcycle tips. And I know Albert's frustrated with all the shit that he's been going through. But, I mean, we're just smaller scale than where you're at. And I would think that if you find that good plater, you better tell us who the fuck he is. <laughs> so we we do do some uh, some pretty large and extremely expensive titanium parts. And so they actually go through a process called tie-a-dyes. And that's the, I don't know if they're the only ones that do it, but that's what the company is also called that does it. And so we sent them, before we sent them any of these, we sent like probably about 60 pounds worth of like test coupons. And because we weren't really familiar with the process. And so we, we CMM'd everything and had reports on everything because they claimed it didn't change the the dimensions at all. And so, uh, and then we went did a did an audit on them. And then our 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 manufacturing engineer that I was talking about earlier, he went there and they they kind of took him through the whole process. Not all of it because I, they protect some of it. Um, and I'm not entirely clear on what it does, but we we send these parts and. You know, no matter how good you you surface something, you're you're always going to have kind of this orange peel or, or kind of a checkery looking finish, unless you have one of those uh, DMGs that's got like a forty thousand RPM spindle and it's using diamond tools and all that. Um, but uh, when we get these parts back, like all the tool marks are gone, and it like. I don't know what the process is, but it makes them look so fucking nice and they look so beautiful and it does, it doesn't change the dimensions at all. And so they, it, that's, they, 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 they must, they must be, they must be filling in the, you know, the, the, you know, if you blew, if you blew up the, the side or the, the tool marks and, you know, you imagine, you know, where, where the tool's gone across, even though it looks absolutely mint and it's got a RA or whatever, like, that it, it, the process the process must just fill in those those sort of crevices it i it does something cuz like i said these parts have a lot of uh surfacing on them and and i mean it 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 and we do i think we do like a pretty nice job of them to begin with but when they come back like they just look so good i mean the whole so, surface it's just like glass what what is it like what is it what is it what's the process it's called, called? Yeah, sorry tie dies have you ever sent him a t send him a t-shirt no i haven't i sent you one good one so you can tie dies it that's funny oh hold on guys i think there's someone at the door Uh... whoa oh my god guess who it is 
folks, it's Hillbilly Hank coming to you live. The guys finally gave me some quality time on the podcast, and not only that, they trusted me with the secret code for the Mara Tool special. Hey, aren't those guys the best? The code is MTH5. I repeat, MTH5. Hey, do you even late, bro? So, stroke a a genius, Boomer, going on to Instagram and put in, is it Fanuk, Fanuk, Fanuk? (laughs) Like, what what was the outcome? Are you still going to, are we going to change how we say it or what's what's the deal? I don't know. You can say however you want. I just thought it it was, it would be something funny. I don't know. It was good. You got a lot yeah, of response that, from everyone. That was that really got a good. Lot, that got a lot of comments and, and a lot of messages came in. And they're yeah. like, how do you say it? <laughs> I like there was the one guy on there that said, well, if you've got a, uh, a Fanuc controller on a CNC compared to, I'm, I'm not going to say how I do, a Fanuc robot, and you get the two engineers together, he goes, you're going to have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know what? I, it, after being machining forever and I, back way back in the day when the 10T control was the shit, and that was a long time ago. Out here on the West Coast, it was called Fanuc. But then the first time that I went back to IMTS and hung out in their booth because their booth is badass with robots doing all kinds of shit, it's called Fanny. So, Fanny. you know what? I, yeah, I think it's just whoever you're talking to, man. I've heard it says three Fanny. different ways. And it's... Really? I've heard... I've heard Fanuc, I've heard Fanuc, and I've just heard, like, Fanuc. Who yeah. says Fanuc? Like, what is that? It sounds like, uh, like a, a, I don't know, you live on an island somewhere and you, you don't know any other words. That's, <laughs> that's all you can say. That's, that's, that's stupid. <laughs> Fanuc. Fanuc. Uh, welcome. It's <laughs> nothing I'm like the Fanuc It's going to go <laughs> It's a, it's a Fanuc hook, and uh, I'm off to Fanuc school. <laughs> Which I was, I was hoping that they would reply, but they oh, haven't they... even, they haven't even looked at my message that I sent, and they, I you tagged know. them in the picture yeah. and in the post, and they haven't said anything. So, well, I, well, I call them up all the time and order new batteries for my stars because they have a. Nuke control, <laughs> and when I listen to their recording, they call it Fennec. So I don't know. Yeah. Talk about some tuning. You know what? And I've been buying tuning for probably about twenty-two years, and I have developed some relationships with some different guys and all the tool salesmen that I know today and yesterday and the day before have all worked at Sandvik one time or another because well they just said they have and they moved on but there's a few guys that's hung in there till the end and and are still working for sandvik and uh this is kind of like what we were talking about with platers relationships are key and uh buying tooling you know there's different ways to do it you can have a tool crib where if you have a guy or a gal in it and she's or he's looking at a week ahead or a month ahead and and buying stuff in advance or you can have somebody, I'll speak for myself, maybe Albert, I don't know, but I'm kind of flying by the seat of the pants and I'm buying shit tomorrow, you know, what I need now. Or somebody walks up to me with an empty container yep. and said, this is the last one. And I'm like, holy yep. shit. And, Thanks for the heads you know, up. I'm, yeah, I'm out here on the West Coast and it almost seems like everything I fucking need comes from the East Coast. So five o'clock my time, I got to be ordering it by two o'clock their time. And, uh. It sometimes is a real pain in the ass. So I've, you know, like I said, I've been doing it for a long time. And, you know, even buying Sandvik back in the day, choices were, it was a a lot of places I could buy Sandvik, you know, out here on the West Coast, there was Coast Tool and and there was KHS and DGI. And and now it's dwindled down to one because DGI has gobbled up Coast Tool and, and KHS. And so there's one sole supplier for Sandvik out here unless... You want to go through the internet and go through MSC. And so 
I have had some good relationships with maybe two or three guys, you know, and uh, my kind of thing is if I call somebody and tell them what I want or what I need or whether it's a job that, you know, I've got to have it tomorrow and these guys will get on it themselves and then get back to me, then they're going to get more calls from me because that's very important. You know, I used to have an old guy called George at Gibson Tool in Nevada. They're no longer, but... Anyhow, I would buy PH horn from him because he was a hell of a guy. And uh, there was a couple of times that I would call him and say, I really need this this one grooving tool for tomorrow. Uh, I've got to run a shitload of these. So it would be like on a Friday, I was going to run all Saturday and all Sunday and make these parts. And uh, he was barely making cutoff time back to where they're at. And he would call in and they didn't have the grade that I needed. But they had some that were uncoated. So I was trying to order 10 of this, you know, like a TN35 grade. And uh, they didn't have that, but they had them uncoated. And he would go ahead and place the order for three or four of the uncoated, even though I wanted a 10. And it's not what I wanted. But he would do that. And so I would have something in the morning. And then he would call me back or leave me an email and say, this is not what you wanted. They don't have them right now. They're going to have them next week. But I ordered these for you. They say they'll work in stainless. They're not going to last as long, but they're going to work. But at least you're going to have something in the morning and the weekend to make the parts that you need. And uh, you're going you're gonna to be able to, you know, get through. That kind of shit right there to me is very important. And you're going to get more orders from me. You know, just that extra little effort that you did. Making sure that I have something in the morning instead of saying, well, we tried. And they don't have them. Yep. So it is what it is. You know, the little extra effort that those guys put out meant the world of difference to me. And then there's a few guys that I still call and that do all take care of me like that. And, uh, you know, uh, David Frank is one of them. He's on Instagram. I'm, I think that pretty sure that uh, Shane's met the Carbide Cowboy, Hugh Canberra. He's Hugh, been around yeah. a long Yeah, he's been around a long time. Helped me find a couple of jobs, actually. But, uh, there's fewer and fewer of those guys. So back to the other end of the spectrum here where I'm saying I'm kind of flying last minute. Well, now, if I have part numbers, I can get on the computer and go to MSC and I can order my Sanvic or, you know, or I could order my Valonite or my Walter or whatever it's called these days. And if I get on before five and I click on it and it says Reno has 10 of them and I only need five and I can upgrade to free next day error, it's going to be here tomorrow by 10. And there's no human beings accidentally not following through or losing a paper underneath another paper on their desk. Or I'm expecting something for tomorrow on Friday so I can run all weekend long. And it never shows up. And then I call and I get some lame axe excuse. It's just really frustrating to me. And uh, I, I don't want to be the guy that goes full time to clicking on the computer. But it sure simplifies things and takes a lot of the humans out of the equation. And I'm just, I was wondering how you guys feel about that. And then later on how, you know, the guys that are listening, what their go-to kind of tool buying is. That's a good topic, actually. Mm. Let's, what do you do, Albert? Well, what I do has kind of like evolved, I think, since I started the business. But um, pretty early on, I got hooked up with this local outfit. You remember J&L Industrial? Yeah, that's the old MSC. They used to be, Jay, and now yeah. before the MSC bought them out, yeah. Yep, so the son of the owner of JNL, he started his own, like, tooling company, like, local to me. And I don't know how I got, like, linked up. I think I got linked up with them through, like, another shop that I was, like, friends with. And they were always, like, super helpful. And my local Sandvik guy, complete fucking weirdo, but, like, super helpful um the, between those two like resources i was always able to get tooling basically so like even if i didn't know exactly what i needed they would kind of steer me in the right direction and give me some options um and then as i started to gain a little bit more experience about like the different product lines and stuff like that it's a little bit easier cuz like i know who my go to is for like a lot of different things so like for some stuff if I have an exact part number that I need, yeah, you can just go on like MSC or whoever's 
you know, one of the big box websites and order the code that you need. But um, there's definitely something to be said about working with a rep that knows the tools. Um, I think that's invaluable. And the the one place that I'm talking about is called Colmar Industrial. And I've, I've stayed with them for, you know, whatever, 10 years because the people that they that I started working with, they're still there. And it's it's good to see that, you know, they I know I can count on them. You know, if you call at three o'clock and like, hey, can we get this shipped out today? Like it's going to happen. So that's kind of nice. Whereas, you know, with the big box stores, it's like there's a, there's less exceptions to those kind of rules, I think. But, um, you know, for somebody like Tony and myself, I think especially because we're smaller, it's a little bit trickier. So like sometimes a tool will break at two 30 and it's like, Oh fuck, I got to go find an alternate or order something and get it made sure, make sure it gets ordered and shipped that day so I can have it tomorrow so I can keep running. So, exactly. you know, I, I'm totally with you on flying by the seat of your pants because sometimes that just happens. Like as much as you want to try to plan for things, the unexpected mm-hmm. and unforeseen will always happen. And you just have to be ready to react and be on your toes um, until you can get to a point where you can bring in like an MRO system or uh, inventory right. management type type deal or whatever. I mean, that's obviously ideal, um, especially for like more standardized stuff. And I'm, I'm sure Shane and, and Jody, you guys could chime in on that. Yeah. Well, before Shane uh, gets rolling, because I'm sure he's, he's probably in charge of buying his tooling. But to, 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 you know, say what you're saying. Also, Albert, I have taken it to the extreme where I have called my my tool rep and ordered some Sandvik and hoping that it'll be here on Friday morning. Because I mean, the, my customer is not going to wait Monday. I'm driving down with this shit done, one way or another. Yep. So I've ordered my ordered my stuff from DGI, but then I freaking took precautionary and ordered another ten from MSC, knowing that these are high runners that I'm always going to use. Because if something happened to that DGI order, whether, you know, I mean, my my guy is only as good as the crew behind him on that order. If something fucked up there and I don't get that, at least I know that there's like 50 of them in Reno and that's going to make it tomorrow. Then I'm ordering the other 10. And so what? If 20 shows up, great. If that first 10 doesn't and my MSC order does, then I'm okay. Yeah, I used to honestly, like early on, there were a lot of times where I was driving to like local tooling vendors. I'm kind of like fortunate being in the Chicagoland area. There's a, it's a pretty big manufacturing sector here. Um, you know, I made that post about the YG one end mills. They're probably yeah. like 30 minutes away from me. So like if I call something in within an hour, usually it's at like a will call desk for me to go pick up from YG one. So that's actually really convenient. And I know a lot of that's people were cool. suggesting like a, other brands of shit but like there's something to be said about working with somebody who's got at least a like a local distribution house you know exactly well who do you buy from shane uh so we deal with western um they're pretty big out here on the west coast they they have offices i mean from washington oregon all through california and i think they just opened one in arizona actually too um so they're they're pretty big out here, and we have a uh, we have a uh, inventory controlled cabinet through them, um, which I played hardball on and got a good deal on it because they really wanted to get it into our shop, and I kind of played hard to get on that. You know, no, oh, I'm not really interested in it, and so that worked out pretty well. But um, so we run we run three shifts, and so that that cabinet really helps because. You know, you could on a, on a on a Thursday or a Friday, you could be looking in good shape, and then you have you know five lathes running a two eighty six, and you're just blowing through roughers, um, and so you know you'll get a pretty good run on them. So what what the this thing does is it, it tracks usage on everything, and then I have I have it set up to where they have to enter their uh, their job number um, before they pull something out of there, so that we can also look back at that and look through history of, uh, of, uh, specific parts and, um, you know, pull a report on a particular part number or a specific job number. And it'll, you know, it'll show us what our usage is on that. 
Um, mm. So you could pull a lot of data from it like that. And then you can run reports, you know, who's using what and um, by employee, by, you know, pretty much anything. There's all these different reports you can run. Um, but we, we have a, a, a really good um, relationship with our Walter rep. And uh, I mean, he's gone as far. We'll, you know, I'll call him and, hey, man, I really need this you know, for this weekend or something. And, and he's, what he'll do is he'll usually just like add it to his trunk stock yeah. and, and he'll get a Saturday delivery on it. Sweet. Um, and th- we, we've done that a few times. And then, uh, AB tools is about five miles from us. And so they, they've bailed us out a few times. And then right next to them is Rob Jack also. So nice. we've done some will, will call stuff. Um, you know, when we were really in a pinch, and uh i don't know we're kind of lucky around here kind of you know uh we have rob jack and ab tools is right there uh pro max is right up the street uh well, what well, how the hell do you say it sarah tizzard just bought them oh, not yeah. too long they ago need some interesting stuff actually yeah and so and they they even have like this they call it like their value line but we get a lot of drawings and it'll have like it'll call out like a 45,000 like fillet. And so you'll need a, an end mill with a 45,000 radius on it or a 20,000. And so I, they actually stock those, you know, hmm. and it's not something super common. And then if you, you know, if we need something off the wall, again, there's AB tools or, or destiny will pretty much make you anything you want. And they're right down in Santa Clara. So um, it's, yeah, I was gonna say, where do you get your Sandvik from that you do use? Uh, we use we only use a few of their inserts, and then um, like I just bought a silent bar, and we we go through DGI, um, but because we don't use them all that often, we don't get such such a great deal, right? And uh, and so I looked, and the I don't know. I don't think MSC showed the bar that I needed. I don't know if it was on there or if it was like a call for the price thing. Cause it was a pretty pricey bar. Right. Um, but I, uh, I was complaining about it to my Western rep about how much it was. And, and he looked into it and he was at, he could actually get it somehow and get me a better deal than what DGI was giving me. Isn't that and, amazing? <laughs> yeah. And so, I ended up just buying it from DGI because he had to get it. Our Western rep had to get in touch with the Sandvik rep and make an exception. And it was like a whole thing. And so I was like, you know, we'll just, I need it. So I'll just buy it and get it over with. Um, well, I was just but it actually worked. It, it worked like incredibly good. That's the first time I've used one. Yeah, and they're cool. Yeah. I just but, knew that you, you were in love with those CNGP. 008 radiuses so i know you buy those from somewhere they 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 phase those out what i still have yeah. some. you want one cngp yeah i have i have some some 431s and some 432s and 1105 ah. and i'm hoping those will last me a while i have 2025 and 1105 i guess i don't use them that much <laughs> we used to use uh What's that like generic grade? Ten thirty. Mm-hmm. We used to use those on like literally everything at the job shop I worked at. This is aluminum, stainless, carbon steel. It didn't matter. It was a a ten thirty CNGP. Yeah. Well, Jody, what do you do for tuning, bro? <laughs> well, as you know, I worked for Sandvik for a few years, and for me, um. When I decided to go and work for Sambic, it was it was like an opportunity to work for a really big company. So this was no, this was direct employed direct through Sambic as opposed to working for a distributor and being um, like the guy that sells Sambic. <clears throat> okay. And <clears throat> what that enabled me to do was to actually go and see all these different workshops all around New Zealand and Australia, which was awesome, you know, because I knew that I was not going to be a Sandvik rep for the rest of my life. It was 
almost like a stopgap kind of thing, you know, uh, to sort of broaden my knowledge of what people are doing and how they're doing it and, um, you know, to sort of add to your repertoire. Now, so it was a spy mission? Uh, no, nah, not really. Just, you know, it's just an experience, you know. Sometimes you, you see these things and you go, oh, that's, that's a pretty good opportunity. I should just give it a go. And, you know, yeah. it was good. Samvik was a good company to work for. They, you know, at the time, when I, when I first, I'm sort of, getting off topic a little bit but when i when i was first employed by sandvik um the first part of it was to fly up to auckland and you know you go through your induction with the the new zealand headquarters and um and the day that i flew up there is the day that we had the biggest earthquake in christchurch which bowled over most of the city wow (laughs) I remember you posting about that when it happened. Oh, my God. So, you know, I'd flown up to I I was I was in Auckland. I've just started a brand new job. And suddenly their health and safety like manager dude comes in and says, you need to look at the TV. And I was like, why? What's on the television? And we turned the TV on and you could see the cathedral square, which was the main like square in Christchurch and the cathedral had been bowled over and they were saying there's been a massive earthquake. And I was like, Oh shit. So I was on the phone to, uh, to my wife. And so I phoned her up and, and you know, when I, when I phoned her, like my, my youngest daughter who was six months at the time, you know, she's, she's crying and like the dog's barking and, and anyway, and I'm, and I'm sure you guys in California have obviously experienced, you know, earthquakes and stuff, but you know, like you have this one big earthquake and then afterwards there's like the, after, you know, the, you have the aftershock and it continues and continues like that. Well, when I, um, when I was on the phone to her, like suddenly she goes, Oh my God, there's another one. And then the phone went dead. Oh Jesus. Wow. That's and dramatic. I'm like, and I'm like, uh, I can't get hold of my wife now. And and at that point, the the like the main manager for Sandvik New Zealand had already booked me on every single flight possible for the next three days, trying to fly out of Auckland to get into Christchurch. And they said, "We will get you home." And I'm like, "Yeah, that's 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 awesome." Um, but I still need to try and speak to my wife, you know, and uh, for almost two hours, all the phones were down. So I had no idea what the hell was going on. And, wow. and it was it was the worst experience you could ever have because you're talking to somebody and then they start yeah. screaming and then the phone goes dead. And I you guarantee that you will think of the worst possible outcome that could be is going through right. your mind right then. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's some scary yeah, that shit. sounds awful. So sorry, I, I was just going. I, so my point was that um, that you know, of course, Sandra's all good, and we, you know, uh, I, I managed to get back down to Christchurch, and and Sandvik had, they were there, they were, they were like I say, they were booking me on every flight, and every flight kept getting cancelled, so I was already booked on to the next flight, and in the end, I had to, I had to fly down to Wellington, I had to wait there for like. 13 hours and then i managed to get another flight that literally just popped up and sam had already booked me on this other flight to get back into christchurch to get me back to my family and i'd only been at the company for four hours you know wow. like I literally, literally just started this job and suddenly we had this massive earthquake and and at that point i went that that really to me that that sort of cemented my opinion of um how that company runs and what they do for their employees. And, 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 you know, and, you know, of course, like I said, at the beginning, I, at that time, I, I really had never planned that I was going to be working for Zambic for like the rest of my life. But I really knew that I had made the right decision in working for that particular company. Yeah. And I see that. Yeah. So now, so getting, so going back onto the, the, the topic, um, you know, we've, we'd been pretty lucky yeah, on this part of the world where we've um, like the, the bigger players like your, say your Sandvik and your Iskars or whatever, we've always dealt direct. So we've never, okay. had a, we've never had a distribution model in Australasia. So it's always been, you know, if you're buying, you're buying from Mr. Sandvik, you know, or if you're buying, you're literally buying from 
like Mr. Iskar or Mrs. Iskar or whatever. And and mm. only now, just this year, in New Zealand, have Sandvik pulled out of that model and are now switching to the same sort of model that you guys have, where you have main distributors and you're buying from a distributor and an accredited distributor for Sandvik. Mm. Which, which, is a, which has been a really weird transition period, well, for me and, and obviously for the company. Um, but one, one good thing is that the, the main manager for Sandvik New Zealand, um, Sandvik assisted him in creating his own distribution business. So they, they came in and said, righto, this is how we're going to set you up. And so you, I've still got the same guy to talk to as I did like back in the day when he had employed me, which is... Jesus, which is like winning the lottery. It is, exactly. And so Andrew's a really good friend of mine. He's now got this distribution business uh, called Prime Tooling. And, you know, I, I'm fortunate enough that I've known him for many years and I know that I can always rely on him. And I think that's where you are coming back to Tony, where you want to know that you can rely on these people because yeah. they, they really can have a quite a, well, a, a major impact on the performance of your business, the profitability of your business. And sometimes it could make or break. Well, like what you said, either having a customer or not having a customer because yeah. you know, if you don't, if you don't have cutting tools, then, well, you can't fucking cut metal. It's as simple as that. <laughs> well, you're exactly right. And when some, when you know, if your guy gets a hold of you and tells you, yeah, you're gonna have that tomorrow. Don't worry about it. And you have it tomorrow. It's like, I mean, it's it's more than just buying tools. It's like it's a friendship, and then it becomes a relationship, and then you can trust yeah. the guy. And it's like, you know, I'm, you know, you're gonna get all everything I can buy from you. You're gonna get it. It's a given. Yeah. And it's it's weird, but you know, one of the things that I learned when I first started my shop here, you know, like you know. 2004 there was like a lot of players still in Sandvik you could buy from three or four different distributors and I it was time for me to buy you know a different 880 drill or whatever you know it was one size and so just for the hell of it being you know a new guy up here you know a little bit north of the the players in you know San Francisco and stuff like that I sent their RFQ out to all, all, all three of them and for the same drill the same part number and all three of them came back to me with a different price and that was because I was new and they wanted my business and they were trying to give me the best deal and I didn't understand it because I had been buying from another shop down in Santa Rosa that I worked to you know for 15 years and it was like it was all the same but now I'm up here and I'm asking for the same drill from three different people and I'm getting three different prices mm -hmm. and so I finally got a hold of my guy and said you know how can this be and they're like well there's different angles to work they can give you you know, whether they're going to say it's a new machine tool purchase or they're going to give you a one-time buy or they're just going to, they do what they do to try and get you to buy from them. And it was, you know, it was, I didn't like that because I wasn't used to that. And I was used to like, this is what it costs. This is what you're going to pay. But when people start giving me these different options, I just like, you know what? I didn't, I, to make this a shorter story, I didn't buy the cheapest one. I bought from mm -hmm. the guy that I trusted. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, that's a good yep. point. When you were saying before about, you know, you can go online and you can go, right, I need a CNMG and I, this is the price and bang, I've ordered it. Like, right. I actually think I, I think that 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 part is great when you you know the product that you want. But where you really get the value out of these guys is is you don't want them just taking an order. You want them to yeah. come in. You want them to come into your shop, and you want them to stand next to you while you're next to the machine, and go, yes. "Hey, guess guess what? I can see that you're machining this stainless or some nine five four bronze or whatever. I reckon that if we use this, we're gonna we're gonna improve your process by whatever. Like that's that's what I think the value of having a really good rep comes into play. You're, like you're anyone exact, can order it. You know, anyone can order a tool. You're exactly right because the computer is not going to call me up and say, there's a new grade. You can run faster. It's going to last longer. Try this. No, that ain't mm -hmm. going to happen. Yeah. Actually, one, one, one thing I'd like to add, and I don't mind sharing this, is when I, when I made the decision to work for Sandvik, there was one really big part of it that was important for me. And 
that was, you know, you, you never want to just be seen as a salesperson, for example, because, you know, you, you go, well, I've got this experience and, and I, one of my main drivers was that I really wanted to be able to try and help other people and learn at the same time. Now, uh, I know that some of the other guys, and I can't speak for the rest of the world, but certainly within New Zealand and Australia, the, some of these other companies, if you are their main you know, sales engineer or sales rep, um, you, your salary is proportionate to commission base. But right. w- with Sandvik, I had, a, I had a salary, a flat standard salary, and <clears throat> there was no, like if I, if I sold a million dollars worth of tools, it didn't matter. I had the same salary. Like, oh. so it was a, it, it was a good salary. And the reason why is they said, well, we want you to be able to add value to people, not go in there and sell them whatever you can sell them. Because like, that is, that is not the sort of Sandvik philosophy. I know I'm sort of preaching a little bit, but like, I liked that, you know, like, yeah, that's pretty did, cool. I did not have the pressure of having to go into someone and go, Oh my God, I, if this guy doesn't buy a hundred inserts or 50 inserts or whatever, you know, I'm not going to be able to feed the family. You know, you, right. I go, Oh, I, I'm getting good. I'm getting a good salary. Now there was a bonus structure and the bonus structure, like you're going to laugh when you hear this, the bonus structure was in the major customers, like your key accounts. If you can show that you have saved that customer X amount of money, they yeah. will give you a, Sandvik will give you a bonus. No, and that I, happens here. Uh, yeah, that's I pretty thought, cool. That's that that to me made it means that your rep, you know, like if I'm going to somebody or if when I was going to somebody, you know, I couldn't tell them any of this, but if they if they sort of had an inclination and, and knew that that was the way it was structured, like would you feel more comfortable with somebody coming in the shop that does not rely on selling anything to you to give you the best advice compared to someone that is quite heavily reliant on selling your product. Like, I know yeah, which definitely. one I'll be picking every day. Yeah. No, that definitely, you know, make me feel better about dealing with somebody. Well, guys, that's the end of episode eight. Thank you once again for downloading our podcast. We, as always, really appreciate all the kind words and messages that we get from you guys. But remember, if you want to get involved, then send us a DM and let's see what we can do. Also, if you didn't hear the special discount code for Murray Tools, then I suggest you rewind and listen again. Until next time, see ya.